Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Time for our weekly Q&A session with me, Andrew Musgrove, and our Newcastle United editor, Aaron Stokes. Thank you to you guys watching live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, you guys listening later on the podcast. If you are watching live, you will see that we have covered a desk and some lovely Everything is Black and White merchandise, a giant banner. And conveniently enough, if you come along to our free live event on Sunday, at the Tyneside Irish Centre, you will see this giant banner in person. There's only uh, 25 tickets left for the event on Sunday, which kicks off at noon at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Of course, Newcastle face Manchester City uh, later that afternoon, so it's a perfect way to build up to the game. We'll have Aaron on the panel alongside our Chief Sports Writer Lee Ryder. We'll have John Gibson and the Times' Henry Winter. Like I say, free entry. I'll pop the link into the description and into the comments of the Facebook and YouTube broadcast. Get yourself along. There'll be a chance to raise some funds as well for the Sir Boy Robson Foundation and the Newcastle United Fans Food Bank. Should be a great afternoon. We're going to start, Aaron, with the match on Saturday. Another 3pm kickoff for Newcastle United. They drew 0-0 with Brighton. Now, I had said earlier in the week that I expected a draw. I thought two good sides. I thought it would be an entertaining draw. I didn't expect it to be such a performance that we're sitting here asking just how did Newcastle United manage to come away from the Amex with a point? Yeah, I agree. I thought, um, you know, I didn't really think a draw was a fair result. I think Brighton probably deserved to take all three points. Um, but Newcastle quite toothless in attack. Very, very uh, resilient at the back, but they had to dig deep and they got lucky a couple of times with some uh, goal mouth clearances and obviously Nick Pope having a blinder, but um, you know, we said before the game that Brighton would be a test, you know, much more so than Forrest a week earlier. Um, and look, they've came through that test, they've managed to take a point home, but, um, you know, Brighton with a much better side. Brighton looked a really, really good outfit. Did we see a performance from Newcastle, which just brings everyone down to earth? You know, we were probably all guilty of getting ahead of ourselves after that Nottingham Forest victory, after the victory against Arsenal at the end of last season. Here we face a side in Brighton, which I think is probably where Newcastle should be aiming. <clears throat> Apologies, this season, you know, a good established Premier League side with ambitions of being in that top 10. And they've played Newcastle pretty much off the park. So is it a case of, um, yeah, you know, they've just bring Newcastle for United fans down to earth a little bit. And it reminds you that this is going to be a long project for Newcastle. They're not instantly going to be able to bat away the likes of Brighton in search for you know, success in the Premier League. Yeah, I would think so. I think you've I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there with what you say that um the back end of last season was obviously so fantastic. They went on that amazing run. They had a good start of the summer with some decent, you know, top level additions. Um and then obviously last weekend at Forest was a bit of an anomaly given how sort of easily Forest rolled over. Um it is probably, you know, just a reminder that the feet need to stay on the ground somewhat. I think it's a reminder that um, the last two weeks of the window are crucial and a need, as Lee Smith's kindly just put on uh, in the comments there, they, they do need a striker and a winger. Um, already some more attacking ad- additions, which Eddie Howe, you know, has, has spoken about. Um, but yeah, look, Brighton are Brighton are a well-drilled, organised team. They've had a couple of years now of Graham Potter being able to work with the squad. Um, and look, he's turning sort of average players into really, really good players. You know, the likes of Solly March, um, Trossard, um, Pascal Gross, you know, really, really sort of under the radar signings that are turned out to be fantastic players. So, 
yes, um, I think, you know, Saturday was a good test. I'm glad that they managed to come through with a point, but um, it is just a reminder that there's still work to be done before they sort of upset the apple cart. And we'll get on to transfers later on the show, but David Stratton there puts in an excellent comment here on, on, on a live Facebook broadcast. He says, our bench was so poor, no players who could change a game. How left his subs late because he knew he had nothing to change it, or he, had, he knew he had yeah, nothing to change it. We are a couple of players away from a really good side, but at the moment we look really thin. Valid points? Yeah, completely. I think, look, we've been saying this for about a month now. Um, you know, the club did really well to get some early business done, strengthen the back line, but um, the focus for the last month to six weeks has been on attacking options and they haven't managed to um, get any through the door. I agree with with David's comment that you know you're looking at the bench on Saturday and and you know it's nil nil. How's looking for a game changer and you know you left bringing Jacob Murphy on who look is a is an honest player. He does his graft, but you know how many times have we seen him sort of turn a game on its head? Um, so look, they need more depth. They need um, I'd say still an upgrade on Armstrong. They need a good backup for when Wilson's not firing. Um, but look, everybody knows as fans know it. We've been talking about for weeks. How's been openly honest about how he wants one or two more through the door um, and I just thought Saturday was a reminder that you know they really do need to get a couple of bodies through the door in the next two weeks. David Heron makes an excellent point as well. Who's out there that we can get to bolster the attack and we, we seem to say this every single week on the podcast that when you're looking at options realistic options that you know, players you can name who really do have a chance of ending up in the black and white chair come September the 1st there's not many people out there, and we were going to say this later on for on, on the show, but we'll, we'll we'll talk about it now. I think Emmanuel Dennis is a name. Now he's gone to Nottingham Forest for twenty million, mm-hmm. ten goals last season, and a side that got relegated. I can't work out for the life of me why that isn't someone Newcastle would go after. Is he world class? No, but does he solve a problem that Newcastle have got right now? Yes, we know he can do it in the Premier League. He scores goals. He's 20 million within budget, you you would suggest. So I do wonder, is it the done character checks on him? Maybe doesn't fit into what Adiyah wants to do? Or is it the other big issue, which I think Newcastle are facing, and that is selling the project to players in terms of if you're a striker coming in, like Dennis, who wants to play week in, week out, how can you sell a move to Newcastle when really the main line is, if Callum Wilson is fit, you're going to be on the bench. And I think that's probably a, a, a big issue for, for Newcastle in the remainder of this window. Yeah, Dennis is a weird one. We we know you know that Newcastle were offered him and Maxwell Corney at the start of the window um, when Watford went down. And it's clearly an option that the club didn't see fit. Um, you know, there has been rumblings about his character, you know, that he was in and out of the team under Roy Hodgson at the end of last year, despite, as you say, an, an amazing record um, for a struggling team like Watford and in his first season in the Premier League. 20 mils in the budget. He's, I think he, you know, he's 24. I think he's a good backup for Wilson. Um, I really, really can't get my head around the fact that the club haven't sort of pushed for him because he, he seems to tick all the boxes as we've touched on. He would have been a really, really shrewd addition, I believe. I think um, Maxwell Corney as well probably would have been before he went to West Ham. I think, you know, obviously me and you were talking before we came on air. And I think Ishmael Assar is another one that. Um, you know, Watford are probably looking to get off their books and I think it would be a shrewd move to try and get him in um, for 15, 20 million. But just going back to your first point, I think 
Um, you know, we have been sat here the last couple of weeks struggling to think of names and, you know, a lot of came and gone, you know, the likes of Calvert-Lewin at the start of the window, that's now out the window. Um, Anthony Gordon looks like Chelsea's probably the option for him. Um, so look, it, it's difficult. Howe's alluded to that in his pressers. Um, you know, he's made no bones about the fact that the club are struggling. You know, they're trying to sell the project to players and for whatever reason, it's not happening. But um, look, you know, I, I've got faith in Dan Ashworth. I know that, um, you know, they're working ridiculously hard behind and I think we'll be sat here in two weeks' time with, with two more additions. But um, it's a reminder to the club and to the fans that, yes, you know, they've got this money, they've got this new project, they're playing fantastic football on the pitch, but they're still just that level behind certain clubs, I think. I mean, it's not easy for any club at the moment to sign a striker. Manchester United being a good example. We saw players they've been linked to recently. They're struggling to bring in forward additions. But again, I thought the performance against Brighton was just another reminder of just how crucial it is to get in a striker because Callum Wilson had another quiet game. And, you know, as mentioned there in the comments, limited options off the bench. And we're only the second game in. We're not going to push the panic button. But I do think if Newcastle finish this window without bringing another striker in, then there is a little bit cause for concern because Callum Wilson, you know, he's going to have other games like he did against Brighton where he is quiet, he isn't getting that service. And Newcastle, they need to bring in a striker. They, failing to do so is a big blow for what they want to achieve this season, in my view. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think, you know, we all know this. We've been talking about it for weeks that, um, for whatever reason it hasn't worked out for Chris Wood um, I actually thought Wilson was okay first half I thought he was probably the, one of the bright sparks at the second half he was very very isolated um, given that Newcastle just sort of just penned in for the last 30 minutes um, but we know we know that yes he will have quiet games and we know that it, you know at any moment you know another inch you can crop up and, and we're really struggling but um, you know the club know this Eddie Howe knows this Um and I think, you know, there's there's a lot of talk of centre midfielders and, you know, potential other options with Shelby's injury, but I think the club are fully focused on making sure that it's a striker that they bring in. And they need and that, and that that's what it should be, you know, that is their priority. Wilson had a goal disallowed. Did you think it was deservedly disallowed? Just explain to the listeners, remind them what 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 one yeah, went so, down. Yeah, so so Wilson obviously flicked the ball over uh, I think it was Lewis Dunk's head. You know, the foot was very high, but um, you know, Dunk was a good sort of yard off him. Um, I thought. I thought the the one thing that I wasn't really happy about about that decision was the fact that, um, you know, Wilson's flicked over his head. He scored, and straight away the referee's blown up before the ball's already in the in the net. Brighton's players have all stopped. I think if you just let that run on, let the goal stand, let the play continue, then VAR can have a look at it. Because I think on a, I'm not sure whether VAR would have ruled that out. I think you know, given how far Dunk was away. I think on a certain day you might get given that. Um, but look, it's it's one of those. It was, you know, I think even if that goal had stood, you know, I don't think Newcastle would have deserved de- deserved a win from you know the manner of their performance. So it's just one of them. But I, I as I said, I thought I thought Wilson looked okay first half. Um, you know, Miggy looked okay first half. He had a couple of chances. Maxi was a bit off the boil again, um, which was a shame to see in a game like that. But um, yeah, that that Wilson one was was a bit disappointing just given that the referee didn't sort of allow play to move on. One man who was certainly on his game was Nick Pope. Obviously, he became a social media trending star on Friday and Saturday thanks to uh, Toon Pro's 
And then he went into that game against Brighton and without Nick Pope, Newcastle would have lost that game. Three fantastic saves. There was two cleared off the line by one by Trippier and one by Cher. But let's just concentrate on Pope's uh, performance first off. You know, he's come to Newcastle with an eye on that World Cup squad. Mm -hmm. He knows he's got a quality keeper in Dubravka right on his tail for the number one spot. That is a fantastic performance and it, it, it justifies... Eddie Howe bring them in. It justifies Eddie Howe give him the number one spot. Wake Scout Southgate maybe as well to Jordan to competition for Jordan Pickford. But just a, a brilliant performance. And this is the reason we're sitting here saying Newcastle are still unbeaten this season because of what Nick Pope did on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. And look, he proved me wrong because, you know, I sat here on Friday afternoon and he became this viral sensation. And I was just sat there thinking, he's going to drop a clang at tomorrow, is he? He's, it's going to come back to bite. Everyone tweeting about him. He's going to have a stinker. But... Um, yeah, look, he had the complete opposite man of the match performance, um, and a and a real sort of statement, you know, of, of he's came in, he's he's been given a nod over Dubravka, which was a tough call for how to make. Could have easily backfired, and if you know, we could have been sat here thinking, um, you know, why did he drop Dubravka when he'd done nothing wrong? But look, Pope's, um, you know, he's laid down a marker. I thought he was brilliant um, on Saturday, really, really good. You know, three sort of big saves in the second half. Um, you know, demanded that area and, and sort of um, looked really, really assured. So, yeah, really good performance from him. Um, and I think it sort of justified Eddie Howe's decision to take that gamble and drop Dubravka. Other performances we mentioned there, Trippier had uh, cleared, cleared one off the line. Again, I mean, I only saw highlights, didn't see the full game, but from what I did, so it was mostly Brighton getting down that side and, and Trippier just looking a little bit off the pace still. Yeah, um, Brighton had quite a lot of luck in that second half down that left their left hand side. Um, you know when they were sort of finding gaps. You know they brought um, that youngster Karu Matoma off the bench. Young Japanese lad looked really really good, and he was sort of he was testing Trippier. Um, but look, I thought Miggy did well. He covered him well. Um, but I thought it was just a good defensive performance. Trippier is a weird one because, as you say, you know he he, he probably wasn't at his best on Saturday. He was a little bit off the boil against Forrest, I thought. I thought he looked a bit, didn't look like he was sharp. You know, he didn't look like he'd had, he was, at, you know, at match fitness. Um, and look, at early days, I don't want to sort of start calling them out, but it's just maybe want to keep I an think, eye I on. I think it's important to to assess each individual. And we're going to get on to Bruno Gumresh in, in a moment because for all these players perform well towards the end of the last season, we can't sit here and you guys can't, listen to this or watch this and, and we you know brush away bad performances or average performances we're here to assess we're here to analyze mm -hmm. you know what goes on and this is this is in my opinion the second week in a row that Trippier has been below parts partly because he set the bar so high but we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we just go oh well just just another weekend next week again City will be back to his best yeah you know we've got we've got we've got that's what we're doing and I mean, we had this discussion before we came on air about the defence and it might have been the match of the day edit that I, I saw and it didn't paint Newcastle in the best light, but it just seemed at times a little bit schoolboy defending, rushing out of the ball, everyone going to clear the ball. And, you know, Eddie Howe said they were unified in the dug in, which is brilliant, but he won't want to be having that sort of defensive performance every week, will he? You know, no. He want to be more dominant. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't the type of performance that you really want to see seven days before you play um, Manchester, you know, Manchester City. So, Haaland and Grealish are probably looking at, licking their lips after Saturday. But, um, look, I think I think Howe was right to say that they were, you know, at, at moments they were assured, you know, they came under a lot of fire in that second half and we were, we were 
talking about this before. I think 12 months ago, that game when I finished 3 or 4 0 at Brighton, um, I think there's a different sort of aura about that defence now. You know, they've got a good working relationship. And I think and I think one thing that we haven't touched on yet is the fact that um, that defence, for all Dan Byrne has played at left back with Brighton, it was a big call replacing him, you know. Um, replacing target with Dan Byrne and, and dropping Botman straight in. I thought, um, you know, it was a weird one. We didn't really get a, any sort of rumblings of, of targets knock. You know, Howe didn't mention it in the press last Friday. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise, you know, sort of an hour and a half, two hours before the game to hear that target might actually be missing. Um, but I think for sort of that makeshift defence where Burns having to play left back where he hasn't played for, a, you know, a year, um, I think credit needs to be said you know, to him for that. I thought it was I thought it was a good defensive display given how much they were, you know, sort of under pressure in that second half. And do you think my target would be back and fit and ready to go for Manchester City? Yeah, I mean you know, from what we heard on Saturday it looks like um, you know, sort of a dead leg, um, or a minor sort of hamstring issue, um, which we don't expect um to keep him out big t- you know, sort of long term. Um, you know, we'll probably hear know more about it when we speak to Howe later this week. Um but I think they've got an option now there. If, if Target is missing Saturday, or maybe not, maybe Saturday's a bad example because I can see them maybe going five at the, the back, back against yeah. City. But um, let's say further down the line, further this season, Target's out again. Burns shown that that he can play left back over the likes of maybe Dummett and Richie, who are maybe sort of um, you know not not as sharp as they used to be. Um, but yeah, I thought Burns was sure at left back. Um, Botman, as you mentioned, there made his, his full debut. Played 90 minutes, 39 passes, four duels won, four clearances, one clean sheet, seven recoveries. How do you think he did? Yeah, really, really good. And I think, um, you know, how likes to ease these players in. We saw how well it worked with Bruno, but I think I don't think that's as needed with Botman. I think he looks assured, he looks ready. Um, you know, I thought he looked ready against Athletic Bilbao in that final pre-season game. Um so yeah, look, he, he looks fantastic. He's slotted in early doors. Look, it'll be a dis- different test altogether on Saturday against City. But um, I think as, as as a full Premier League debut goes, when you're sort of under the cocks like that, I thought he handled it well. But John Gandhi there saying major burner bonus for Burn at left back is that lofted balls to the back post are less likely to be problematic. Um, you mentioned Ansett Maxman there didn't have the best of games. We- <laughs> We've spoken about this before, but is he a danger of becoming a bit of a scapegoat? When he doesn't perform, people will get on his back and it's more noticeable because when he does perform, he's one of the better players yeah, in that side. Yeah, I think it's sort of the Bruno effect, isn't it? You always notice it more when he has the, the rare off game. Admittedly, with Maxi, it, it's not really a rare thing. You know, he, he does sort of drop these type of performances where he goes missing every couple of weeks, which, as we've touched on, you know, countless times on, on this podcast over the summer is the main thing that he needs to change this season. He can't go missing as often as he does. And I mean, there's comments that I'm reading here um, from various people asking about whether, you know, Chelsea and Tottenham are going to be sort of tempted by a £40 million bid. I think if you watch, if you're a scout at the Amex on Saturday, you're thinking, no way is he with £40 million. just has this tendency to go missing. And yes, you know, Saturday's game wasn't probably played to his style. Newcastle didn't have too much of the ball, especially in that second half. But, you know, this is what the thing. Maxi needs to adapt his game so that he needs to be having an impact in these type of games where it's nil-nil and the game's on a knife edge. But um, 
he's so frustrating, but I, I, I can't see the likes of Chelsea or Tottenham being tempted this summer. You mentioned there Bruno Gomesh, he came out and said it was far from his best game. That was clear to see. Really, really guilty of giving the ball away far too often in the middle of the park. Guilty of just being a bit slow. He, he, he allowed players to get a, get a foot in on him and win the ball. Again, partly because he's probably set the bar so high. Were you, were you shocked at his level of performance against Brighton? I don't know if shock's the right word. I think we forget, isn't it, that he's, that he's human and we've been blessed really the last three, four months that he hasn't really put a foot wrong and we sat here every week and I always say, oh, I'm sick of praising him. But I'm actually sort of glad that, you know, we've had a reminder that sometimes, um, you know, I thought Brighton set up perfectly on Saturday. They didn't give Newcastle an inch. They didn't give Bruno an inch um, in that midfield and he looked isolated. I think Shelby was a miss. I think Shelby does that role where he sits and sweeps really well. And I think Bruno's better when he's probably used a bit further forward in that eight role, um, which we didn't really see on Saturday. But so could we see for City? I know it's not ideal, so we'll, we'll maybe bypass City and we'll go at the, go at the game afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, could we see, it's Wolves, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Could we see maybe Longstaff come in, play that deeper role, and then you've got Bruno and Julian ahead of him? I, I'm surprised that Longstaff didn't actually get a chance from the, from the start on Saturday because I thought, you know, Willick against Forrest was a bit, um, look, he, he had an okay game, but he didn't pull up any trees. Um, I think Longstaff offers a really good balance. I think we've seen in pre-season, him and Bruno seem to strike up quite a good partnership together. Um, and obviously when you've got Willick who likes to go forward, I think, as you've said, Longstaff sort of offers a bit of, bit more protection further, further back. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him, see him get a chance. Um, but I think Shelby's going to be a big, big miss. I really do. I think um, he looked sharp in pre-season. And I think just, like I say, having him as that anchor, as he has been the last couple of months, it's going to be a big blow. Just getting back to Wilson, you know, we said he had a bit of a, a quiet game. I've seen comments from people saying he needs to do more off the ball. But is it a case he's just not getting the service to him? You know, you said he, he became a bit isolated in the second half. W- what can he do to resolve that because he obviously wants the ball, he wants to get involved, but if, the, if, if Newcastle have got their backs to the wall, it's very difficult to, to get out. Is that a case, it, was it a case that Newcastle just had an off day, they needed to defend, that results in Wilson becoming isolated, or was it Newcastle are lacking something in that team which feeds the ball to him? I think it's a bit of both. I think, look, it was an off day given that Newcastle had you know, a lot fewer chances. Brighton restricted them um, going forward, especially in that last 30 minutes. Um, so I think it was just one of those days when Newcastle aren't, you know, sort of flowing going forward. But I also think um, that this is what we're talking about. We need players that are going to replace Maxi and Miggy in the long run to be able to turn that game on the head and, you know, sort of call, bring um, something out of nothing and actually be able to turn these defence... Um, you know, this defending into attacking really and I just thought that, you know, Maxi wasn't doing that, Almiron wasn't really doing that and I think that's where Wilson has those quiet days but, you know, we saw against Forest when Newcastle are in full flow and they've got a lot of the ball and they're, you know, sort of building in confidence, his moves in and around the box are, are perfect so I think it was just an off day really rather than Wilson needing to do more. We've got to get that balance, haven't we, when they perform well not got to get ahead of ourselves when they have an off day not got to get too down in the dumps that's look, the important look, I think I think it's very very easy to get 
you know, sort of down in the dumps about Saturday as well. But it's four points from six. They were very, very good at the back. As we said a year ago, that wouldn't have been a draw. Um, and a little stat for you. It's the first time Newcastle have taken four points from the, or more from their opening two games since 2012. So, good start. Got uh, John here saying it's tough for Wilson as his four partners are largely St. Maxman and Almiron. Uh, they're not link-up type players. They run around a lot and are unpredictable. Fair comment? Sort of, yeah. Because, but I, I honestly thought Maxi had turned the corner against Forrest. He was giving the ball quicker. He was linking up a lot more, which is why it makes it so frustrating that he sort of had a backward step and, and was sort of quite anonymous. Um, look, Maxi and Miggy, it's a big couple of months for them. It feels like we are, we're always saying that, but... Um, you know, the club, are, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if the club signed another really, really top-level wide man before the end of this month, which out of the two of them probably means Miggy drops out, but there's nothing to say that they won't sign another in January, and that means Maxi's out. He's fighting for his place at the minute. Again, but I think it's, it's important to get that balance as well, isn't it? When he has a good day, don't get, again, too yeah, far. Too excited. You know, it's just one of those, just, just having that... That balance. Um, we've got quite a few uh, comments coming in. We've got Andrew Palmer here saying, can't believe we're in a league where you can't get a world-class player for less than 40 million. How lucky were we with Trippier? And we've got um, quite a few people talking about the link-up uh, or the, the, what, the story that Amanda Stavely and Midad Gadusi were at Stamford Bridge yesterday to see Spurs take on Chelsea. They were apparently a guest of the new Chelsea owner. Um, but a lot of players potentially in that Chelsea squad, which you could see Newcastle holding an interest in. A lot of people have already picked out a few names. We'll start, I think, with Brozier. Mm-hmm. He's a man who's been linked repeatedly on loan in Southampton last season. He scored six goals, a young man. Wanted by West Ham, apparently didn't go because he didn't get the first team assurances. It comes back to what I mentioned earlier in the show, I feel, that any striker that comes in, I think is is going to be well aware that if Callum Wilson is fit, he's likely to play a second fiddle. Will Brozier, you know, give up that demand for first-team football that he apparently had in talks of West Ham to come to Newcastle? No, I, I, I personally don't think he will. I think the big thing about him leaving Chelsea this summer was that he wanted to be number one somewhere else or be given, a, you know, a good shot at Chelsea under Tuchel. He hasn't started for Chelsea this season, but he's, he's played in both games. He, he came on yesterday against Spurs. Um so I would be very, very surprised if he comes to Newcastle unless, you know, they've said, well, you're going to be number one and I just can't see him coming in over uh, Callum Wilson. My name is Conor Gallagher. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of him. But I'm sitting here and I'm just scratching my head thinking, where where does he fit in? And, I mean, the first question I'm going to ask you, Aaron, is it a case that Newcastle United fans, and I'll include myself in that, just have to maybe get past the fact that it, it's not necessarily about a position being free and needing to be filled, it's about bringing in a quality player who will, you know, bring the level up. And that's regardless if you've got two or three people fighting for that same position. It's tricky, isn't it? Because we had a similar conversation the other week about Madison. Fantastic player, would improve Newcastle no end. But is he what they need, this window? Look, Conor Gallagher's a fantastic player. Um, But we know that he's sort of in that Madison sort of role of a 10 and he likes to be central. When really, I think Newcastle are really struggling to get bodies through the door and they need players that are happy to play out wide, which, if I'm honest, I'm not sure if Gallagher will, or they need a striker. So, 
Um, I agree with you. I'm a huge fan of Gallagher. Everybody who's ever coached him or, or any fans who have ever watched him play for their team believe he's different gravy. I know a lot of Crystal Palace fans who were absolutely raving about him last season and really, really wanted him to stay. Um, it just depends whether Newcastle need him in the next two weeks. I think that's what it boils down to. You mentioned Madison there. First two games for Leicester, he is sent a reminder of why Newcastle United want to sign him. He's been absolutely superb. And just the way he gets into the box, the way he can pick a pass, the way he just gets it on goal. And that's what's something... I think Newcastle are missing that. They're missing a, a constant goal threat from midfield. And again, you mentioned there, we had this conversation where I, I think we both said, where exactly does he fit in? But them first two games, I've been so impressed with them. And you, you we could see yesterday uh, on Saturday when Gary Lineker was talking about Leicester... You know, he told Michael Richards to shut up and stop trying to sell James Madison. He knows how good Madison is for his Leicester side and what a player he is. I've just been so impressed with him the past the past couple of games, and I, I can see why Newcastle may go back in with another bid. Yeah, look, and and I'm just I'm I, I want to sort of reiterate the fact that Madison and Gallagher would walk into this Newcastle team. They would. I've got no doubt that if either of them signed, they would play over Willick um, and add go to midfield. I just want to sort of stress that the reason I'm not sort of crying out for them now is because I feel like the priority needs to be further up the pitch. But Madison, over the last two games, has, has really, really sort of sent a message just to say that, one, he hasn't been put off by this transfer talk. And really, any club that gets him, whether it's Newcastle or Arsenal or Leicester keeping him, he's a fantastic player. It's, it's an absolute wonder he hasn't got more England caps um, and he's not highly rated. He walks into most teams in the Premier League and I think, it's a real shame that Newcastle sort of couldn't get a deal done from early in the window. Got Geordie Toon for life saying we do need midfield players that create and score goals. Willick, Juliet and Longstaff don't get enough. Totally agree with that. few people asking there about Puzzlick would be yeah, from Chelsea. You say, David says he would be a real statement um, of intent. Other people asking, is he is it the answer? I think he would. I personally think he would be. I think if, if, if they manage to get Pulis on loan, um, over the line, which you know, the potentially there's, there's talk today that he's one of the Chelsea players um, in a long list that Newcastle are eyeing. I think he walks into that team over Miggy, and I think he he brings that level up. Um, you know, he'll have one eye on the World Cup. You know, captain in the USA, he's gonna want regular minutes, which doesn't look like he's gonna get at um, Chelsea. So look, Pulisic for me would be near the top of the list. I would I would love to see him at Newcastle. But if Chelsea are willing to let him go I mean again I suppose it comes to kind of bringing down the expectations at Newcastle United, but he's another one I mean has he does he really set the Premier League at light to be that excited if he arrives at Newcastle I, I don't think he's I don't think he's set the um, set the Premier light I think he has been a little bit of a um, I wouldn't say a failure but he probably hasn't hit the, hit the heights that many expected him when he joined Chelsea from Dortmund Um but look, I think the talent's there. I think you know you have to watch him for the USA and, sh- and see that he really is a top top player. Um, and look, you know, as as game time's been very very limited at Chelsea. You know, they've got a lot of players in that in those positions. Hamik there, Ziyech, um, Conor Gallagher, you know, Hudson Odoi, a lot of them. Werner before he left. Um, so maybe he just hasn't had the minutes. Maybe with a couple of you know games under his belt, he'd be better. But as I said, I would love to see him at Newcastle. 
a few other names from from Chelsea that have been mentioned. Um, as you mentioned there, Hudson Adoy is, is another one. You a big fan of him. I mean, you don't think Manastevli and Midad Kudusi being at Savard Bridge was a, a coincidence, do you? No, I don't think it was any accident that they were there yesterday. Obviously, we know that um, Stavely specifically has got very, very close links to Chelsea. She's um, on good terms with Todd Bowley. You know, they've spoken at economic forums and stuff together. They've, they're clear to go back a long way, but there's no way that that was a, an accident yesterday. We're hearing that they were invited there by Chelsea, but I'm sure there was definitely some transfer talk going on. And as we've mentioned there, we've reeled off five or six names that Newcastle could have really realistically signed from Chelsea. Um, and look, I think Hudson's Dory would be a good addition. He can play down the right, down the left. He's young, he's hungry. If he can stay fit, um, he'd be a very good addition. You know, we're hearing today that um, he won't be involved with Chelsea's youth team tonight, which he was scheduled to be. Um, so it looks like a move away for him um, is sort of nearing its conclusion. Um, I think out of the players that we've mentioned so far, I mean, Gallagher's fantastic, but I think Pulisic would be my number one. And, and I think I'd like to see Hudson Adai as well. Christmas lists looking <laughs> lengthy, isn't it? Yeah, maybe I've been, been a bit too ambitious. To you guys watching live, do drop into the comments out of those Chelsea players we've mentioned, you know, who you would like to see come in realistically would be on loan, you would think. Newcastle have got a real good chance actually of taking advantage of the loan market. I think if we do see two or three more coming in before the window closes, it will be largely down to the, you know, the part of signing loan player here or there as it did with maybe Matt Target just getting a bit of a taste for what you know a certain players like and the like maybe going back after the deal ends um, we've got Mark Robson saying get Ivan Tony back Gallagher definitely in he would score loads of goals we've got Roger Cook saying Madison's price won't come down much uh, Paqueta uh, he wants Paqueta in he says he thinks he would definitely be the answer um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of names flying about the place, isn't there? It's just about timing and budget. Yeah, definitely. I mean, another one that, you know, we reported earlier this morning was, you know, Gonzalo Ramez from Benfica. Um, you know, Lee Ryder had a very good transfer line from him this morning saying that, you know, Newcastle had been told that the door's still open for him. Um, you know, the player himself sort of came out the weekend and said that he was happy at Benfica, but... I'm sure money talks when that's involved. And I think, you know, if the right bid comes in, Benfica will probably be open to selling them. Um, you know, did really well last season alongside Nunes. Scored against Newcastle early in the summer. He could be an option up front. Um, you know, fits the profile as well. Young, you know, proven in Europe. I think that could be one to watch in the next couple of days. Would that be a bit of a statement signing, yeah. you think? Yeah, I think that would be a huge statement signing. I think it, it would probably take 40, 50 million to get him away from Benfica. That begs the question, does he come in and play second fiddle to Wilson? I'm not sure he would. Um, you know, does it mean sort of a change in formation where he plays two up front? We know that's not really how style. Um, but look, I think there's still I think there's still wiggle room for one sort of big marquee signing before the end of the month. Jordy Toon for life saying Ramos, Gallagher and Paqueta, instant improvement. Uh, two out of those three, please. Uh, Pulisic on loan, Paqueta and a striker. Job done, says Lee. Madison would be amazing, but Leicester will do everything to keep him. I mean, a lot of people there seeing three rivals. Is that realistic? Given what they've done in the last six weeks, no. 
Um, I think it's probably only going to get harder towards the back end of the window when you know the haggling starts coming out. Um, if I had to, if I had to put a, a number on it, I think two, three would be amazing. I think they'll probably get two in. And a lot of people asking what what would failure be this transfer window? If they don't get a striker in, is that is that the biggest failure? Yeah, definitely. We we, we sat here in May, we sat here in June, we sat here in July, we sat here now saying. If they don't sign a backup to Wilson, then they're in real trouble. Look, I really like Chris Wood. I've said it before, but for whatever reason, it just isn't clicking for him. Um, that would be the biggest failure for me. I think you can you can maybe excuse getting and not getting another winger in. We've got Fraser, you've got Miggy, you've got bodies there at least. Um, but I think not getting another striker would be criminal the next two weeks. What about exits as well? I mean, is there anyone you can see going out? Because that's also seemingly stalled. But I mean, actually... When you when you think about it, off the top of my head, I I can't see anyone who I would necessarily say yeah. But at least I wouldn't push anyone towards the door. No, I I don't I don't think there'll be any big name first team exits. If I'm honest, I don't think Newcastle really have any assets that people want. I think Maxi's the only one you could maybe say. Um, but if I'm honest, I, I just can't see I can't see Tottenham. I don't think Tottenham need him after signing Richarlison, and also the wing back situation they usually never going to get Miggy to play there um, and I can't see Chelsea if they're going to buy Gordon other than that first team wise obviously Bruno yes would walk into my team but Newcastle aren't going to sell him um, exit wise I think I can see one of the three one of the four goalkeepers going um, one of either Dubravka Darlow or Gillespie maybe then you, other than that you're looking at maybe Freddy Fernandez, Matt Ritchie Jamal Lewis sort of fringe players Matty Longstaff, I think, will go on loan. Um, Elliot Anderson, I'm still on the fence. I think he might stay. It depends on what they do in the market. It's going to be an interesting one to watch. Jonathan asking, what day is Man City on? It's Sunday, 4.30 kickoff. Once again, we have a live event on Sunday morning for you guys to come along to before that game. Uh, David Langford asking, is there any future for Jamal Lewis at Newcastle United and is Matt Ritchie going to stay? So you said that you could see Matt Ritchie potentially heading out. I think it would require Matt Ritchie to force yeah. a move. I don't think Eddie Howe would want to necessarily sell him. I don't think he's under any pressure to sell him. You know, he gives that experience, which is which is quite crucial. Jamal Lewis is an interesting one. I mean, if there's one player... I would love it to work out for it. it. Would be Jamal Lewis. I just think he's had such a tough time of it. But again, he's picked up another slight knock, hasn't he? I, 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 can't, I just can't see it working out. I think time's running out. I think obviously when he got left out of the twenty-five man squad, a lot of us thought um, that was game over for him. Howe's obviously given him another chance and said, "Get yourself fit. Show what you can do." But just doesn't seem to keep himself fit. How did say last week that he's he's been training, he's he's getting closer to returning, but Matt Target's not going to lose his place very easily, and when he does, Dan, Dan Byrne can can slot in there. So Lewis, really, I think time is running out. I think you probably stay beyond the window because How clearly likes him, but um, but I can't see him really forcing his way into the plans anytime soon. Certainly going to be an interesting one to watch. Some lovely comments coming in from uh, from our readers, uh, which I won't uh, bother repeating. But thank you for um, getting involved anyway. Uh, thank you to you guys watching live on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter and listening later on the podcast channel. Please remember to like and follow the podcast through 
your uh, podcast provider and leave us a rating and review just helps us get the episodes out to a wider audience and once again a reminder of our live events up at the Tyneside Irish Centre on Sunday free entry uh, there'll be some raffle prizes to raise some much needed funds for the Sir Robson Foundation and the Newcastle United Fans Food Bank hope you enjoy the rest of your week do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk where we'll keep you with all the latest Newcastle United news including our daily transfer live blog <laughs>